Welcome to PDX-ish with your host, Byron Beck. PDX-ish is a podcast based here in Portland, Oregon, but it's not just about Portland. PDX-ish is also about pop culture, politics, and pretty much whatever else pops up in Byron's brain. Byron talks about things you never should and asks his guests things you never would. So let's get on with the show. PDX-ish is now. Welcome to PDX-ish. I'm your host, Byron Beck. I have been here for so many times uh, to tell you about all the cool stuff that's happening in Portland, uh, right here in the Ned space, uh, over here in downtown Portland in the Bigfoot podcast studio. But what I'm really excited about today is to catch up with an old friend, somebody who I, I was trying to remember uh, how we met, but let, let me introduce you him first. His name is Lance and Mayhew. Lance is a spirits expert, I guess, would be the best way. Sure, I'll take that. A spirits expert. Uh, he uh, is the uh, representative for Diageo here in Oregon. And uh, Diageo, what is Diageo? Let's tell, let's tell our friends. So Diageo is the world's largest spirits company. Uh, they own Guinness Beer, but they also own iconic brands like Johnny Walker, Kettle One, Bullet Bourbon, Tanqueray, Smirnoff, um, Bailey's. There's there's a number of brands. All the good stuff. Yeah, Don All the Julio. Good, it's a, how, how did did you just one day grow up and end up being a, a spirits expert, or how did you get into this line of work? Well, so you you know I, I was a bartender for a long time. Where did where 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 did you start? Well, um, my original uh, place that I bartended was um, was a Stuart Anderson's Black Angus in Sacramento, California. I love Black Angus. <laughs> I, I was just looking for one the other day, wondering if there any of them are still around. There, there is one. There's in Vancouver. My dad goes there for his birthday. Oh, uh, it's, there's a Black Angus in downtown uh, Vancouver. It's a it's quite a sweet spot. Well, next time I'm in Vancouver, I'll have to stop by. And by the way, it looks exactly like it did in 1970. <laughs> you know, or 80s probably when you were there. Exactly. Well, yeah, early. 90s but that was where I first got my got my start bartending around town I bartended a number of places uh, you know Beaker and Flask which yeah. was restaurant I think that's where I met you oh I think we made we might have even known each other before that but definitely Beaker and Flask I remember running where, we, where did we meet before that uh, I seem to remember you in the 90s as a writer meeting at you at some events yeah I was a writer yeah. I, I am a writer uh, but uh, but yeah I was a I was known for my uh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you've uh, always been a man around town yeah yeah yes yeah, likewise likewise yes. likewise you've always been a man around town and after beaker and flask well let's see bef- well let's see um i also worked at merryweather's um yep. i worked at 50 plates um i remember 50 plates yeah and then i i kind of i kind of uh moved over to moot uh i started teaching culinary school yes yes uh and and so i did that for a while and then that was a great job, but that's kind of a retirement kind of a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did it for a couple of years, and it was time for something a little more fun. Did you do that downtown? Or? I did it at Oregon Culinary Institute. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I taught for two years there. Well, uh, was it nice to be away from the drunk people? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, but students are their own. <laughs> They're their own handful, right? Exactly. Uh well, that's interesting. So you did that for, and then did you go back into the bartending or did you go right into working in this industry like as, as an expert? I went to work for Young's Market. Well, so I've also been a journalist for, oh gosh. Like yeah, that's right. The spirits and travel and wine right, and all right, of that stuff. Right, right. About 10 years now. Um, so complete that, renaissance, man. I got really lucky. I kind of fell into it. Yeah. 
I got asked to write a magazine article uh-huh. uh, after doing a cocktail competition. And so I wrote my first magazine article and then that just... When was that? Uh, I want to say like 2008 probably. And who was that for? I wrote for Imbibe Magazine my first. Of course. Yes. Now there's like one of the... Lar- they Aren't they the largest spirits magazine in the I, world? I think they are. They're my favorite by far. Yeah, they just uh, wrapped up Negroni Week, which they had hundreds if not thousands locations across the globe uh doing the negroni right it's pretty amazing what they do yeah karen foley the yeah the, i love karen the, foley she's just one of my favorite people and, and super uh, sweet yes and it's just a great publication and it's local it's oregon but they have a, a national and international reach so that's that's been pretty cool to watch so they, they like your stuff yes and so then it turned into you know i i write occasionally these days. I don't write as often as I used to. No one does as much as they used to. No, so. no. Uh, I was the whiskey expert for about.com and it was a New York times company, uh-huh. you know, like a top 10 website in the world. So I did a lot of so that. So that was the, you were they say an early adapter to that would be almost blogging, right? Yeah. Well, back when people were getting paid to do things like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember I used to get paid for like, I do like a 25 word article and I get 250 bucks and like, you yes know, it was like crazy it was like you know what what you know so but those days are long gone they are sadly um unfortunately you get what you pay for um so it's it's really hard to find good like spirits writing mm-hmm. these days um so i focus more on the sales side and education side because that's something that i've been lucky enough to travel the world get to do some of these things once in a while it turns into a magazine article right but you know, like my, I have an upcoming vacation to Scandinavia with my wife coming up. And trust me, we will be hitting distilleries and breweries. And it's just one of the things I like to nerd out. Now, about. is that a working vacation or is that a No, vacation? that's just me going to, we, we got a good, good airfare on a flight to Copenhagen. And I was great, like, well, let's great. figure that, everything else out from there. Uh, flights to Paris right now are 389. So uh, I don't know how they're swinging that. That's out of San Francisco and L.A. Uh we didn't pay that. We're going back in uh, September, and we love. Uh, we've fallen in love with a bar over there called uh, the Hemingway Bar or Bar Hemingway. Oh, sure, that's a famous bar. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I think his name's. I forgot it. Colin. Colin yes. is the guy who runs the. Place. The Irish guy. Yes, the Irish yes. guy, Colin, and the cocktails. Each cocktail is thirty bucks. You're in Paris yeah. at the Hemingway Bar. Yeah, and you're at the Ritz, and uh, you're always going to see a celebrity. Uh, we saw Chloe Grace Moretz the last time we were there. Tiny bar, no bigger than our little studio here. And um, there's something about having a cocktail in another city that makes you feel so fancy. Well, especially when you're having it in in, in Paris or one of the great international cities of the yeah, world, yeah. right? Is there's something sophisticated about it. You're probably not going in there and ordering a rum and coke. You're probably no, actually having no. a proper cocktail and, and civilized conversation, and it's it's an elegant experience that we don't get to share very often. You uh, you uh, you accidentally uh, revealed my uh, secret, uh, uh, my guilty pleasure is rum and coke, but I've given it up. I've given it up for now because I'm on a low carb, no sugar, no gluten diet, and I've fallen in love with one of your brands. Oh, which one is that? Uh, this would be Kettle One. Oh, okay. Kettle One Botanicals? Kettle One Botanicals, which are uh, 70 calories uh, per drink, I think, and no carbs. That's correct. And, and, and uh, no I, sugar added either. No sugar added and really, really tasty. Uh, uh, tell me about why, what this trend in, uh, even in uh, spirits, to move toward a... a uh, healthier lifestyle. Sure. Well, I think there's a real trend just in general with people looking for a healthier lifestyle and maybe when it, when it comes to beverage alcohol, sometimes it's a little bit lower proof, right? 
Um, because it's not about going out on Tuesday night and getting hammered. It's about maybe responsibly having a couple of drinks, but people are also... People like to get hammered. The reality is this in this world, we still... You know, this thing, I have have to be honest. We're going to talk about an event that's coming up, and I have to be honest. You know, people say, well, will there be non-alcoholic options at the yeah of course there's going to be not there's always non-alcoholic options but there's this just tend to tendency to say we no longer want to have fun and get drunk i find that alcohol is a social lubricant for me i enjoy that part of it what i don't enjoy is overconsumption where i wake up and i feel like hell for two days because as i get older the hangovers seem to be longer so it's always that kind of fine mix um and so i'm just you know really for me it's it's two drinks most of the time. Sometimes there's a third, just enough to enjoy myself with friends and be able to get home safely. Yeah. And it's about, it's really turned into quality rather than quantity for me. Is that because you're older or is that because the world is changing? I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Yeah. Um, The world is really changing. And you know, I, 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 I'm not defending drunks by any means. I'm not defending getting drunk. I'm not defending, but it's uh, fun, but I'm not defending, you know, getting, you know, so, drunk you, uh, you you're uh, it's you're doing harm to your, yourself and your, your the people around you but i am saying um it is a very interesting time where even in spirits culture even in drinking things have changed oh yeah so one of the things that we're really seeing is is the low proof or the the non-alcoholic um i don't know if you've ever seen seed lip around but that's a that's a non-alcoholic distilled um, it's a it's a non-alcoholic spirit, for lack of a better term. What's it called? Seed Lip. It's How made in London. S e e d l i p. Seed Lip. Now, uh, that's a non-alcoholic alcohol. Yes. So you won't get a buzz, but if you want something that's a little more complex, like you want to have like a cocktail experience without without the alcohol, that's a that's a great way. And there's a number of other ones that are coming out like that. But I actually had a Seed Lip uh, in the soda with my wife last night. Uh, Where do you get a seed lip and soda in Portland? Uh, well, you can go across to Il Solito. I know they carry it. Okay. I think Departure carries it. And then I just buy mine off Amazon because it's two-day shipping. Now, is this part of your company? Are you, did you just promote something that you don't offer? I think, I think uh, we have some sort of a joint venture with them, right. uh, but we don't own the brand. Great. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about... Uh, uh, basically Diageo and uh, and where it comes from, what it's all about. Sure. So Diageo um, has existed, uh, I want to say, about close to 20 years now when Seagram's broke up. Um, mm-hmm. So if you really want me to get, you know, there were two companies. There was Grand Metropolitan and then there was another company that kind of formed uh, and and that became what's now known as Diageo. And, and when Seagram's, when the Seagram company broke up a lot of their assets were sold to either Diageo or to Pernod Ricard that's where most of them oh, yeah, were yeah. sold yes um, and so that's where like Crown Royal came from mm-hmm. uh, and some of those others there you know Se- uh, Seagram 7 what's interesting though some brands will say Seagram's and they're not necessarily a you know like Seagram's Vodka was owned by Pernod and has now been sold and it, it's owned by a, another company so while there are products out there that say Seagram's, they don't necessarily all come from the same company wow, these wow. days. It's interesting. Um, I find it fascinating how I think this was actually a good thing for uh, spirits because it seems to have um, improved across the board access and availability. And Don't you agree? Oh, totally. You know, one of the things that's, that's really interesting to me is also I think people's interest in spirits is... is 
dramatically improved, right? I mean, I remember when I was a young bartender at a place in Sacramento, California, in this very high-end Italian restaurant. It was right by the Capitol. And uh, so the first time Tanqueray came out with their Malacca gin, which gets released every few years now, but it's this real cult thing now. First time it came out, I couldn't give this stuff away. I had all these powerful politicians and celebrities and all, and nobody wanted, they just wanted their regular Tanqueray because this other stuff tasted funny. And now, you know, you can have a conversation with people about, oh, well, you know, what is the flavor profile here? People want to talk to you about cocktails. And then yeah. I think there's a lot more connoisseurship from just the average consumer. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, too, that I, for the last, I would say, it's not so much lately, but for the last decade, the whiskey lounge or the whiskey idea, the uh, the the uh, whiskey vault was very, very important to a lot of Portlanders or, or, or to, I would, you know, the quintessential Portland hipster, uh, but but that that whiskey and but it seems to be uh, moving into a new direction. Can you tell us what direction that's moving into? So for me, I, I think the thing that I appreciate, and I'm I'm a wine guy at heart, right? right? That's that's my first passion. But what I've never wanted to see with spirits and especially whiskey is I don't want to turn it into wine. For me, when I sit down and I have a whiskey with you, Byron, it's a convivial thing. It's right. two friends sharing a drink and enjoying that together. And when I sit down and I have wine sometimes with a, with a sommelier or somebody, it's a very different interaction. Right? right. And I don't want it to be that way. So I think that people have gotten very, I mean, they've realized there's all these great whiskeys out there. There's a lot of passion about it. But I really think that it's gotten much more democratic. People mm-hmm. are realizing, you know, distillers are, are doing some really interesting things right now. Um, they're, they're playing around in categories that they just, that people hadn't thought about doing for a long time. And then as consumers, you're seeing a lot of people that are willing to step out of their comfort zone and start to experiment a lot more. It used to be that somebody was, you know, they were a Jack Daniels drinker. That's what they drank. And if you walked into a bar and they didn't have Jack Daniels, that guy was going to walk out and go to the next place. Right. I think now you're seeing that guy will say, well, okay, I don't usually, you know, you don't have my Jack Daniels. Maybe I'll walk, maybe I'll see what else you have. That's, you know, do you have any other Tennessee whiskeys? And, and maybe why are these right. interesting whiskeys? Um, it's interesting, you know, like last year there was a, a very scarcity of Aperol for Aperol spritzes. And this year, it seems to be there was a big fire that has caused uh, uh, concern in the in the world of whiskey. I, I'm just curious how the, well, we I understand a fire happens, but uh, I understand why, why we go through these uh, like moments where things just kind of disappear. Sure. Well, some of it, especially in the world of whiskey, you've got to think with, in Kentucky, you're looking at basically four years minimum before you produce this bourbon, right? And so you're, you're trying to say, okay, what are the trends going to be in four years? And when you, when you start talking about, you know, some of these scotches that are, you know, 12, 18 years old, you're trying to project out today what the demand of the market's going to be, you know, almost 20 years out. And that's very difficult to do. We know that there's some sick, that there are some cycles that happen, but again, you know, consumer taste, Aperol, I don't think anybody you know, saw this being as big as it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I remember when it was a little, uh, you know, boutique uh, Italian aperitif that yeah. you kind of had to be in the know, right? But yeah, the first time I had it was in Venice. Right? Yeah, in, in Italy. I mean, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, shocking how much I loved it. And then I was obsessed with it. And then I had, you know, I had to get magnets with Aperol spritzes on them, you know? Well, the first time you have one in, I mean, if you're in Venice, the first time you have Aperol, that's a pretty magical moment. Yes. And that's, but it also, I'm guessing that every time you have one, it takes you back to that spot in St. Mark's Square where you just go, you know, you're all of a sudden in Absolutely. Italy. And that's what, that's what great cocktails can do yeah. for us. It, we didn't buy them. We were there with from some friends and they bought them and they almost died <laughs> when the, in St. Mark's Square, you don't buy cocktails oh i know i've learned that one the hard way yeah yeah uh uh, uh it's interesting um 
the one of the main reasons I'm having you here is not just because you're a friend of mine, just not because you're a good writer and not because you're on the radio and do television. And uh, we have similar lives, you know. Yeah, you know? pretty similar. But you, uh, you, uh, you're much more successful. You <laughs> hardly. But uh, but you know, uh, is that I we're doing a, actually an event together uh, with uh, one of your wonderful hyper local brands. Yes. it's called Hyper Local, uh, uh, and it is uh, a uh, what we call a tea dance, and it's Smirnoff presents the July tea dance at Solo Club. And that's happening on Sunday, July 21st at 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. in the Solo Club on Northwest 21st. Um, and I'm very excited because uh, that we have our opportunity to work with a really great brand, Smirnoff, and people get will get a chance to try the product. They'll get a chance of little samples of, uh, we're gonna set up a sampling table and all that. Um, tell me about uh, how this, comes together and why we get to do such wonderful things together and and a little bit about Smirnoff. Sure. Well, you know, Smirnoff's an interesting brand. Um, it's it's now produced in a, it, it's obviously now produced in America. Um, it's the best selling vodka in the world. Uh, and there's some but I think the most interesting thing that I can tell you right now about Smirnoff uh, that most people probably don't know is the original recipe for the uh, Moscow Mule was Smirnoff vodka. Wow! Um, and it was created at the Cock and Bull Bar down in down in Hollywood. If you've ever been down there, it's still open. You, it's right on Hollywood. Is that a gay Bo- bar? <laughs> I think it's a pretty mixed crowd. It's <laughs> it's Hollywood, um, but uh, you know. So um, Samuel Bronfman, who was was part sure. of this, uh, the the Seagram's family, he had this vodka. They're trying to figure out how to market it because after World War II, right, nobody was really wanting to drink vodka because they thought it was a Russian thing. And so, you know, they were marketing it as a white whiskey and doing some other things. They were really trying to figure out how do we sell vodka in America? And uh, the owner had cock and bull ginger beer. And then his girlfriend uh, had inherited, uh, why I couldn't inherit something like this, a Mexican copper mine. So mm. the three sat down and they put their, they, they created this drink. And then they were like, well, we'll put it in a copper mug as well. And it took off. It, it it disappeared for a while, but all of a sudden now it's all the rage again, right? And Do it's you know why a Moscow mule is called Moscow? Why is it? I mean, I understand the mule part maybe, but I don't understand the Moscow part. Because in that time, people w- were associating vodka with the Russians. Ah, and I'm stupid. I'm, uh, that's the old a really Cold War easy, stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. it gave people an association. But it taught people that, well, that vodka was very mixable and approachable. And so that's really how vodka got built in the United States was the Moscow Mule. And that, if, you're st- if you're ever in Hollywood, it's worth popping by and having one of the original ones. I really uh, suggest that people go to Smirnoff.com because they have such amazing recipes on their site. Uh, and really, and also... They have, uh, it's kind of fun. They, they have some really interesting ways to do low, uh, low carb, uh, zero sugar, uh, 100% flavor. I, I think it's really interesting where this brand is kind of uh, changing too, very much so, don't you think? Absolutely. Right. And, you know, the thing is people, I think, sometimes think of, you know, Smirnoff, is, it's this brand that's been around forever, right? And so people stop thinking about it as what's new and fresh. And yet when you... When you look at all of the awards, or if you do, if you do a blind tasting of vodkas, I mean Smirnoff is is really an excellent product. Obviously, it's, I'm I'm biased because sure. I work for the yeah, company. but it, now, but it's really inter- it's so. Uh, what's interesting about it is uh, there's no artificial sweeteners uh, in their in their uh, they have an, their non GMO. I mean, it's a ve- it's a very Portland drink. 
Well, yeah. and especially I was when we went non-GMO, which was last year. I mean, that was a major. You you got this is one of the largest brands in America for spirits and and for a company that uses that much green to go out and go through the process to make sure that they're going to certify that and do everything. That was a big bold move, and it's one of the things that makes me really proud to work for Diageo. I think it's a company that that our values are very aligned. Um, and you know, the zero sugars, they're, they're great. Uh, that's a new, that's a new launch that just happened recently. And again, that's a really easy kind of a summer serve, right? I mean, you right. just have one of the, that, some club soda, maybe a squeeze of lime and you know, you can enjoy yourself and you don't have to overthink it. You know, and since, uh, has become a sponsor, I've been ordering when I go into, uh, get a drink cause I'm, again, I'm on a low carb, uh, no. sure. uh, so I've been ordering and I have to tell you, I, and honest to God, this is not uh, just because they're a sponsor. I have no hangover. I, I, I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm about two or three drinks and I have no hangover, nothing. Uh, and I'm uh, like super happy about that. When I have rum and a Coke, which is my guilty pleasure, mm-hmm. I will be like hungover like crazy. And I'm not sure what that is doing inside my body, but there's something happening there that uh, vodka seems to be a lot more of a of a, a match for me. Uh, and I mean, it's, we're going to have a really great time. So, uh, a tea dance was started. These, they, they actually go back to the seventies and eighties when, uh, out on the fire Island in New York city, uh, guys would get together, uh, to basically be in a safe space is what we call it nowadays, but basically it was an opportunity to hook up, uh, out in, uh, fire Island and listen to music, listen to disco music. They would slow it down a little bit. It was, they usually played the B sides of the big disco hit. They would slow it down a bit. And it was an opportunity just to hang out with your friends, uh, dance and have a good time. And that's what we're trying to bring back to, uh, to Portland. We are putting a little bit of a philanthropic, uh, edge to it. We, uh, we, we, we always do all our tea dances, which are on Sundays. Uh, we do we, in the afternoon. We uh, always put a philanthropic extra, and like we've uh, done benefits for Cascade AIDS Project. We've done it for our house. Uh, we've done it for Basic Rights Oregon, and this time we're going to be doing it for William Temple. Uh, William Temple House. People don't realize, and they don't really advertise it because it's. Uh, I think they're not allowed to, but basically they serve a lot of people in the LGBT community, and uh, you know they serve everyone in the community. But, but they're really uh, quite wonderful, and they're just down the street from Solo Club, so it's it's a it's a perfect mix for for our event and uh, uh, Smirnoff is providing the perfect mixer. We'll be uh, likely mixing it with something from Smith Tea, another one of our sponsors. And what would be a good Smirnoff tea? uh, What would be a good recipe? Do you, do you have anything on you off the top of your head? Sure. Um, You know what? (laughs) Um, One of my favorite things is, is basically it's like an Arnold Palmer, but with, uh, with just vodka. Right. And so it's just good iced tea, lemonade and and uh, Smirnoff vodka that's a nice easy summer serve tastes great um and you know if you want to get a little fancy you know you could put a sprig of mint spank that add it to yeah. it but just keep things simple you know during summertime yeah. we've got enough we just want to relax yeah. a little bit we yeah. have that sunshine with which we don't have all year yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh uh yeah we uh we uh we are very excited about our first uh collaboration with you guys and uh 
Well, and Solo uh, Club's such a great place. Too. Yeah, it, to me, it reminds me a little bit of Palm Springs, but also a little bit of Key West or Florida. There's just a sense of like being on vacation, even though you're in the middle of Northwest Portland, you know. And that's that's a great thing to have, right? Anytime that you can just get away for a moment, even just mentally, I think that's yeah. that's what we all need a little bit. In our lives. Uh, we'll be uh, raffling off a bicycle, and we'll be raffling off a Louis Vuitton bag. A Louis Vuitton bag uh, at the uh, event uh, for a charity. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll have a good time, and I'll ask if they can get some seed lip and soda. Seed <laughs> seed lip too. Um, yeah. Um, what else? What other trends are we seeing in uh, the world of uh, spirits right now? Do you call it spirits, or you call it what do you call it? Whatever people want to refer to it as, but spirits is generally on on my side of things is is what we talk to. Sometimes they refer to it as beverage alcohol, but mm-hmm. that's the really boring term for mm-hmm. really boring people. What are you uh, What are you excited about though? What are is there some event coming up or something that you want to share with us? That well, I'm excited about some of the trends that are happening. Okay. Um, I'm excited about the growth of scotch in America. Mm. I think that we've really done our bourbon moment, and bourbon's fantastic. Don't Mm. get me wrong. I love bourbon. I think that people are starting to discover scotch. And for me, you know, as a wine guy, you know, if you're really into wine, you end up in France. It doesn't matter where you start, right? But if you really get into it, like you fall in love with French wines at some point. Well, you know, they're cheaper, too. (laughs) Some of them are. No, not, I mean, yeah. when you're there, it's just like crazy. I love Sincere. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Sincere? Oh, yes. So Sincere, you can get a beautiful bottle of Sincere over there for four euros, you know, and here it would be $40 or sure. if not more. Uh, it, it, yeah, I agree with you that there's something about French wines. And there's something about having a bottle of French wine with a friend while you're in France. I mean, it's like, right. it's, it's very civilized, right? Where we just don't live that kind of a lifestyle. We should. We should. Uh, I, you I do. I, sometimes. Sometimes. I'm, I've actually been, I've uh, taken some time off drinking. So I've been on the seed lip for a little while uh-huh. now. Um, but I think scotch is, is, if you get into whiskey, Scotland is kind of where you end up. It's not necessarily the start of the journey, but sure. there's so much to explore there. And I'm really excited to see that come on. Because for me, it's a chance for me to share some of my passion with, you know, I love talking about rum or scotch or, or bourbon or whatever else, but scotch is really where I can nerd out. And um, I'm, I'm really seeing that trend start to, it's just at the beginning, but in about two years, three years, scotch is going to be the big And thing. so if it's just the beginning, this is the time to bottle up or find, uh, what, what, what's a scotch out there we should be looking at that may not be affordable in a few years? Well, that's a tough question. Okay. I mean, the scotch, the, the, the challenge is, so you've got really, there's there's multiple varieties of scotch. The two big ones, right, are blends, which mm-hmm. were created by grocers in Scotland and in London who were they'd get these mixed stocks and they figured out by blending them together, they could create a house style. That's about 97% of the entire market. So the okay. big ones are, you know, Johnny Walker, which Diageo owns, Dewar's, um, uh, J&B, those are some of the big ones. These And these are old school brands, really, honestly, that people used to drink a lot of about 30 years ago, right? Well, exactly. And so scotch is coming back. I mean, there's still, Johnny Walker, I believe, is the largest brain in the world, right? Okay. But for the United States, it's it's a big brain, but it's not. And it's, you would do a scotch and soda? Uh, if, if I was going to do something, I would do a lighter, like maybe a Johnny Walker red and soda, if I was going to do something like that. If I was going to go to Johnny Walker black, I'd probably do, the, do that on the rocks. And then you start getting into like some of the higher marks, and those would be, you know, maybe one ice cube or you know just a little splash of, of water if I wanted to do anything. I'm going to generally drink those neater. The single malts, I generally drink them neat, um, and you can really, you know, that's 100% barley from one right. distillery, uh, and that's the real 
nerdy stuff, but it's it's a lot of fun though too. Um, what else? Hmm. I think that you're going to see um, that you're going to see people premiumize. So people are going to what when they choose to drink, and we're we're already seeing it in the market. But I think it's going to be more pronounced. People are going to say, "Okay, I'd rather have two really good drinks rather than you know five well drinks." And and I think that that's just being a grown up, right? It is, but it's also a level of connoisseurship, right? I yeah. mean, think about beer. Like in the '90s, when I think we first met, I I remember when when Widmere Hefeweizen was like that was that yeah. was you know. You, otherwise, you walked into a bar in town and you'd you'd see Henry's Ale, yeah, maybe Bud Light, you know. But there would be Widmere Hef, and right. it would be like, wow, what is this? And now you walk into a bar in Portland, and how many different choices do you have? And I think we're starting to see that people, you know, here we we already do that with beer and with wine. Now we're starting to see that with spirits. Um, I read a story about how uh, craft distillery is really changing here in Oregon too, and that that much like the beer market, uh, it's almost saturated. It is, but it's also fragmented, right? Right. Um, and so it's a it's a tough business. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many great breweries, and there's there's you know it's it's a it's a very tough because you got to you've got to make sure you get your taps in in right. restaurants. You've got to keep that in front of people. And the thing is that beer has turned into like wine. So there are very few people that are very brand loyal to wine. They, they go out to dinner and they want to have something they never had, right? You go out to an Italian restaurant and you to look at the sommelier and you're like, um, you know, I want something from the Veneto or whatever, right? But you don't sit there. It's very rare that somebody says, I just have to have my Kendall right. Jackson Chardonnay. That's happening now with beer where people used to be, you know, they were a bud drinker. And now they bounce around. Now they're like, well, what's Frem doing right yeah. now? Or, or who's right. this? You know, um, yeah. And so there's a that fragmentation has definitely occurred, um, and it's definitely affected the big brands. Um, you know, what I've noticed at events recently in Portland is there's a new formality. There's a kind of a return to the classics, or uh, like almost a more structured uh, social structure. And you know, now we're getting the Ritz Carlton and. Louis Vuitton no longer allows uh, a customer to be in their store without having a personal shopper with them at all times. They, uh, oh. Yeah, and uh, that you know lo- that Louis Vuitton does better than any other Louis Vuitton store in the entire nation. It's probably because they don't allow me in there. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, we're seeing this, you know, I think, a real... Uh, well, it's interesting about the Ritz Carlton. You know, it'll be before Seattle. You know, before other cities um, over here. Uh, and um, I'm curious if you will see that trend coming in spirits too. That we'll see more expensive. You know, there was a time when you could get a really good cocktail for about six bucks here, and they're now like twelve bucks sometimes, or fourteen, and if you sometimes eighteen. And we're start, I'm starting to see kind of a New York pricing of spirits in Oregon. Sure. Well, things have definitely gotten just more so the cost of living in, in yeah. Oregon is shockingly high compared to what it was yeah. just a few years ago. Um, I, I do see that there's a lot of premiumization in spirits. Um, one of my friends came to me uh, who was living in Wyoming. She's a sommelier and she was like, the other day, she was like, hey, um, can you help me? I'm doing a project and I want to to do you know the world's one of the best whiskey collections we can do and money's no object and you know people say that all the time but right. money's always an object she said 200 bottles this guy's a billionaire what can you you know can you direct me in some of the right places four hundred and thirty eight thousand dollars later jesus this man had a 200 200 bottle collection um i so helped, half a million dollars half a million i 
They said that he would spend a million dollars and not blink. Uh, that was a little, apparently we had a little trouble getting to a million dollars, but he, he you know, tried, he tried. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've seen those kind of things. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, in the, the Mulma whiskey library has, a, has some very, very high end spirits, yeah. you know, but I think that where we're going as most people, instead of spending, you know, 10, $12 on a bottle, you're going to see more people reaching into that 20, 25, maybe $30 range because yeah. they just get such, and with spirits, you really get a big jump in quality when you start when you right. start jumping up in most of those categories. Not all. There's always exceptions. My Kettle One Botanical, I saw it online for about 29 Is that correct? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I need to get a bottle of that. I love that stuff so much. Uh, I'll be going to get one of those today. Uh, I want to uh, thank you so much, Lance. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience coming up? No, it's just great to catch up. I mean, well, I... You sure. Where else can we find you? Well, I'm on uh, uh, KGUN 92.3. I'm what? the... Bartender in residence. What days are you on there? Friday mornings, about eight fifteen in the morning. And uh, you, uh, you liquor up the uh, my friend Terry in the morning. Uh, yeah. So I mean, anymore, I think it's more of a ratings play. So <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not nearly as serious as it used to be. Okay. Um, and where else can we find you? That's pretty much my main outlet these days. I mean, yep. you know, you never know where I'm going to write up, whether I'm going to write an article on something. Well, I know where I'm going to find uh, you, maybe, and uh, Smirnoff for sure. Uh, it's Smirnoff presents the July Tea Dance at the Solo Club, a benefit for William Temple House. It uh, takes place on Sunday, July 21st. Uh, it's hosted by me, uh, by Byron Beck. And we'll feature uh, dancing, uh, drink specials, raffle prizes, and uh, my very, very favorite DJ, DJ Defro, Rashawn McLean, who is the most amazing DJ and always plays whatever we want to hear. Uh, this is going to happen on, on Sunday, July 21st from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Solo Club, which is 2110 Northwest Raleigh Street. Uh, the Price is only ten bucks to get in, but you get all sorts of things. You get uh, a, a sampling. Uh, you get a complimentary cocktail. It, there'll be go. a sampling of um, a Smirnoff product there, which will be great. Uh, we'll have Smirnoff representatives. We'll have Smirnoff swag. Uh, we'll have a good time. Uh, we really want you to come. It's a benefit for a really great organization that you may not know very much about, but uh, I adore, and it's a. Uh, it's a good thing. And so uh, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Lance Mayhew. You're the best. Uh, say hi, hi to your lovely wife. I, well, you might be seeing us with the Louis Vuitton bag on the 17th. <laughs> um, so we'll see you uh, uh, over there at the Solo Club uh, Sunday, July 21st. Uh, uh, I love you all, and uh, we'll, we'll call it a day. Have a great one. Thanks for having me on. Sure. I love you all. Bye. I'm your voiceover talent, Maria Webster. Thank you for listening to PDX-ish. And a big thanks to Byron's guests, producer and sometimes co-host Mark Grimes, Bigfoot Podcast Studio, NetSpace, and Willamette Week. Join us next week for a new episode of PDX-ish. We love you all. <laughs>